up, all you disciple makers? This is your podcast by discipleship.org, and I'm your host, Dave Stovall. Today, we've got Shauna Merlin from Awana talking about the ways we can get our kids engaged in interactive Bible teaching. Our kids get most of their information through viral videos and addictive apps like TikTok, sadly. So as ministry leaders, how do we keep up with that? How do we keep them every bit as engaged with the message of the Word as they are with the messages of the world? Kids today are being fed an influx of ideas, leading them in the opposite direction of the Bible. But research shows that we can help them develop a strong understanding of the Bible in these early years, before age 13. And if we do that, they're much more likely to make a decision to follow Christ and stick with their faith even after high school. This episode gives us five ways we can develop strong biblical values in the next generation and plant seeds for lifelong faith. Here we go. This is Shauna from Awana. Let's listen. Good morning. Uh, My name is Shauna. I work at Awana. It's awkward. It rhymes. I'm sorry. (laughs) But that's just the way that it works. Um, And so I wanted to explain what this session is about so that you know kind of going into it. So if you're like, oh, it's not really what I wanted, you are welcome to go find somewhere else very quickly, okay? You won't hurt my feelings. It'll be fine. Um, But I just wanted to kind of give you some information about that. The other thing that I found out in my ignorance, oh, if you come to a session, you get another bag. Another bag? Yes. Did you hear that? That was so polite. She was like, oh, she's going to make me take this. <laughs> We've got bags. Um, so what this particular session is about, engaging kids with interactive Bible teaching. What we're going to look at primarily is how we can make sure that when we teach the Bible, it's being comprehended by kids. Okay. And so what we're looking at is how can we do what is in our power to help children understand the gospel? Now, I will say, I think that there are several things that we're going to talk about, actually all of them, that also work for adults. But this is not about preaching to adults. Um, That's not the content that's here. It's primarily about how we can offer this content to children. Guess what? We're at a discipleship conference, so you're probably going to guess what one of the main things is. It's relationship. And and we're going to kind of talk through that and what that looks like in a classroom. So, um, by way of introduction, uh, my name's Shauna. I I was a high school teacher. I now write curriculum for um, Awana. So my official title is I am a curriculum and content developer, um, which is kind of, you know, that means I make things. And so um, (laughs) when you come out of education, your role is like teacher, you know, and so it's always weird when they come up with these like titles, because I don't really know what titles mean, because I was always just Mrs. Merlin. Um, And so that is, I am a curriculum content developer for Awana. I specifically work on a resource for families. That's kind of my baby. um, And that's something that I really enjoy and I'm super, super passionate about. But what we're looking at today could definitely work in like children's ministry circles. It could work for parents at home. It could work for grandparents and and all of that. So hopefully you find some information that's helpful to you. If you are not familiar with Awana, our vision is simply that every child knows, loves, and serves Jesus for the rest of their lives. It's a very simple mission um, that we hope can reach a lot, a lot of people. And so we serve about 5 million kids every week, which is a lot of kids. Um, About 3 million of them are are in Africa. And so it's through our Africa Schools Project where we're actually able to be in a public school system, which is just an answer to prayer. And it's a big open door right now, and so we're trying to run through that open door as fast as we can and to get um, 
scripture into the hands of as many kids as possible. We have about a million kids in um, South Asia. So think like India, Nepal, places like that. And then I misquoted this actually yesterday. We have about 400,000 kids here in the United States. And so I like blended two stats together and misquoted that. But those are kids that are either going through our Awana Clubs programs or our Bright curriculum, which is a weekend curriculum, like a Sunday school, junior church type um, program, or they're in some type of family ministry, and our family ministry is called Talk About. So somehow we're reaching those kids um, throughout the world, which is really, really exciting. We're in, I think the, the, the paper that I was looking at this morning, I think it said we're in 134 countries now. So um, that's where we're at. So there's a scripture verse on the board. Here's what I want you guys to think about and actually call this out to me because it's really awkward when I ask you a question and you don't answer. Um, when somebody is getting ready to teach God's word, and I gave you the answer, here's one of them. When somebody's getting ready to teach God's word, what are some verses that they're like, I'm getting ready to teach God's word, so this is, this is what I'm going to think about. This, this is what I'm going to like put, you know, put my foot on the ground right here. One of the first verses is the word of God will not return void. Have you guys heard this? The word, the word of God will not return void. You're absolutely right. The word of God is living and active and is powerful. And according to this verse, it will not return empty, right? When we open God's word, he will use his Holy Spirit. He will open our eyes. We will read it. We will understand. We will hear from him. So the verse, let's quote from scripture because it is scripture. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That is amazing. And it gives us a lot of reassurance when we open God's word, especially when we open it up in front of those that don't know him. Another verse. Anybody else have another verse like this? They're like, oh yeah, I'm getting ready to teach. And here's something I'm going to kind of like think about. There's something I'm going to read or a way I'm going to prepare myself. Does anybody else have another verse? Anything you think about? <coughs> here's another one we hear a lot. For the word of God is living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So here's another verse that we really cling to a lot. And, and so when we think about this verse, the, one, the way that I've always pictured this is, is if you think about a surgeon who's like carefully opening things up and they kind of have to remove, this is going to be a, sorry, a little graphic, but in the class that I used to teach, we would do some dissections. And so when you dissect something, you are just going in so, so carefully to split open some tissue and to open things up. And that's always kind of the image that I've had in my mind when I think about this, like God's word can open these things up and expose them so beautifully and so precisely and so powerfully. However, sometimes I feel like we leave out some other verses about teaching God's word. Okay, these are two amazing verses and they are absolutely true. But I feel like sometimes we forget some other passages about teaching God's word, okay? So one of them would be 1 Timothy 4, 
And that is when Paul is instructing Timothy, kind of giving him some of these, you know, final words of wisdom. And what I have in bold here, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I don't know about you guys, but to me, that does not sound like a children's ministry leader who showed up the morning of the lesson and said, but the word of God, it won't return void. Sit down, kids. Let me open it up. And that happens, I think, more than we're maybe willing to say that it does. Okay. Um, this sounds like somebody who is is devoting themselves to this practice. There's another verse, and if you know Awana at all, you know why we really like this verse. Um, but this is that an approved workman will not be ashamed because they are rightly handling the word of truth. An approved workman. So this is something that they put some time maybe and some effort into, that, that they're rightly handling the word of truth. And so here, this is a really long introduction to say this. There was an evening that I was sitting down, I was preparing a Sunday school lesson for our small church. There's about six kids in our middle school class. And it kind of hit me. I was in the middle of taking some classes in learning design, so learning experience design. For some reason, people can get PhDs in designing learning experience for people. And when we hand them the Bible, they're like, I don't know the word of God, it won't return void. There's some ways that, that we can take the information in here and we can present it in such a way that it's organized in their brains and that they can recall it and that they can use it. And so please don't misunderstand me. I absolutely agree the word of God will not return void, but I think we could be good teachers of it. I think that we can use it well. And so we're just going to look at a few ways that we can use God's word well when we're teaching it. Okay, and just kind of look. So you'll, you'll kind of hear, so my experience in this is on the education side. And so that's kind of what I'm going to bring into some of this. Um, <clears throat> but please don't hear me say that I don't think that the Word of God is living and active. We all know that there are people who, you know, the first time they're exposed to the Scriptures, or they, they hear a sermon for the first time, and the Word of God changes them. Um, the small church that I went to, um, it, it was led by a pastor who was a local farmer. And this local farmer taught himself the scriptures. And he started a church. And by the time he retired, he had macular degeneration. And he would print off his sermon notes in like size 50 font so that he could read them. And so as you can imagine, the way that he read them was like this, you know, reading size 58 font, whatever it was. And there were many, many people who came to know Christ under his teaching. Many. And at his funeral, to hear the testimonies of the people who came to Christ, because a man was willing to open up God's word and read it. And this was before we could just, I mean, like he would type these things out and print them out. You know, it was before like all the Bible software that would like help you do all these things. And many people came to know God's word because of his teaching. So can the word of God do whatever it wants, wherever it wants? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. But I think that there's some ways that we can engage kids in the way that we teach, and we're going to go through those things today. So here's the five things that we're going to do. We're going to talk about providing the ideal environment. We're going to provide a clear organizational structure to guide their learning. We're going to provide developmentally appropriate materials. We're going to provide real-life connections and then provide parents for a way to partner with you. So those are the five things that we're going to look at over the next few minutes. So I almost had to laugh because when we talk about providing the ideal environment and we show up in a room that has a gaga ball pit and carpet ball, I'm like, huh, very interesting. So this is going to work out well for us. Okay, so let's talking about providing the ideal environment. We're talking specifically about children right now. And so how do you create a room that children want to be in and fill it with people who want to make disciples? Okay, so that's our goal for the environment. We want to create a room that children want to be in. We want to fill it with people who want to make disciples. Not be babysitters, but to make disciples. And so let's, I want you to first think about walking into the room where your children go. How many of you are what I would call like a smallish church? So we're maybe like 200 and below. Uh, quite a bit of you. Okay, so I, it's, it's interesting because different conferences, you might talk to people from really big churches or really small churches. So I want to tell you a story about our small church. Our small church has four Sunday school teachers. Um, and so we break up all of our kids between four Sunday school teachers. One week we had a family visit, and they brought their six adult children and all of the grandkids. That's an amazing gift. And it was a disaster when they walked downstairs and tried to find what Sunday school room to go to. It's a small church. We all know each other. We all know where the kids belong. We know who their Sunday school teacher is. None of them did. And I remember walking downstairs after I had visited with my friends in the lobby, you know, hung out with them for a few minutes, and thought, oh, my word, imagine being a first-time visitor. You, you, you had the courage to come here. You brought your entire family. You walk downstairs, and you're just waiting for someone to show you. And, and we did that. That was my fault. That was, that was, you know, I'm one of those Sunday school teachers. And so do, does a child, do the adults automatically, immediately know where to go? Is it super clear? When they walk in the room, do they automatically, immediately know where to go? Do they sit at the table? Do they sit at the carpet? Do they play gaga ball? Do they play, we have, what's, what's the, um, the soccer football thing? Foosball. We have a foosball table. Are they allowed to be playing foosball for a few minutes before the actual class starts? So setting up those expectations. When they walk in the room, this is something that always blew my mind when I taught high school. So I taught agriculture education classes. I had um, a lot of farm boys and they had a lot of dirty boots in my classroom. And so I always had Glade plugins <laughs> all around my room because <laughs> I taught a lot of boys. <laughs> Girls can get stinky too, but <laughs> just, just saying. Um, and so I had all these Glade plugins. Here's what amazed me they would walk in and sit down just because the environment, just because it smelled good. It was just kind of relaxing. And so, you know, they like, oh, it's like warm vanilla sugar. And they sat down, you know. <laughs> And, and so thinking about, you know, when a child walks in, when a parent walks in, how are we welcoming them into that space with the actual environment? Do they know where to go? Is it abundantly clear? If you're going to ask them to write, are there pens on the table? Um, if you're really cool and you teach middle schoolers, have some flare pens. They'll think you are the coolest person ever, okay? Um, if they're going to need a Bible and they never have the Bible, 
are you providing a stack of them or are you discipling to like, no, we bring the word of God with us. That's up to you and how you want to figure that out. This cart cracks me up, by the way. On this side of the cart that you can't see, it says 9 a.m. Bibles. I was like, what happens at 10 a.m.? Like, like, <laughs> I'm sure there's a reason. Like, I, it's great. I just like when I walked in, I was like, well, it's 9.05. Like, can I? You? I don't know what happens. But obviously, they're prepared for the kids that are coming in here. Now, more importantly than that environment, so our Sunday school rooms are in a little base, little church basement. I actually go to the church where I went through Sunday school, and so I'm teaching kids in a Sunday school class that I went through myself, which is really, really sweet. More important than that actual location are the people that are in it, obviously. Okay. Is your classroom or your home or wherever you are filled with loving, caring adults? Not like, is there one and the rest are volunteers that we roped into being there? <laughs> is it filled with loving, caring adults? Do they know when a child is missing and do they reach out to them? Uh, the, the, I believe she's the CEO of GEMS. She's, it's a girl's ministry. She says, are you leaning in so close that you know the color of their eyes? Mm. Wow. Do you know your kids that well? Do you know the colors of their eyes? It's a good question. Um, do they know that you are excited when they're there and you're sad when they're not? Um, here's another, and this is, this is maybe more of a, a, a personal pet peeve. If there's extra volunteers, do we send them back to the service? Or do we say, there are two adults to love and serve this child. Let's leave the two adults here. I don't, I don't, I, it's, it's worth thinking about, you know, what are we doing? Here's the other question. Sometimes when we have, you know, two preschoolers and we have four elementary kids, we bring the two preschoolers over because there's only two kids this week. So we're going to bring them over so that we've got this class over here. Let's not. Let's teach those two preschoolers on their level with those loving, caring adults. I, it's just a suggestion. I, I can't back this up, but what I'm saying is if you have a, if you have a curriculum and you have a plan that was built for those preschoolers, teach it to them and be thrilled that you get one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two time with them and eat that up because they're going to eat it up. That's my, my daughter. My husband traveled with me to this conference. So I have three daughters, one of which traveled with us. My husband texted at 7.30 a.m., and said that she has already asked where they can go swimming and what time they can see the movie. And can she use my credit card to buy the tickets to the movie? <laughs> and the point is she's eating up that time, right? She's got one-on-one -on -one time with daddy and daddy's probably still trying to get like a cup of coffee down, right? You know, and she's, she's so excited about it. And those kids in your room can be just as excited when they see you and they want, they want to hear from you. Um, my, my Sunday school teacher, just so you know, like microphone man who's editing this, I'm going to like cry here in a second. So just <laughs> everybody know. My Sunday school teacher's name is Grandma Sue. And she's named Grandma Sue because she's everybody's grandma in the church. Not really. That's weird. But like she's <laughs> everybody's grandma in the church. And Grandma Sue started, she was my elementary school um, Sunday school teacher. On, on a Saturday when I was on sixth grade in sixth grade, uh, my parents got in a really, really large fight that, that ended in their divorce. And I ended up 
at church on Sunday morning with my Sunday school teachers. The first people that processed that event with me were my Sunday school teachers. Like, think about the role that you all have. Those were the first people that processed that event. A few years later, I got married, and Grandma Sue was at the wedding. She had one of her daughters drive her because she doesn't like driving in the evening. So Grandma Sue's at my wedding. A few years later, I have a daughter. She's born with a, a slight heart defect, and we end up in the hospital for a while. And I had a secret sister during that time. You guys remember secret sister ministries? We don't do them a lot anymore. But I had a secret sister during that time who I was getting encouraging notes from, and she was praying for me, and she was praying for the baby. It was Grandma Sue. So I want you to think about this Sunday. I walk in, my newborn baby, who she had prayed for. And she's sitting in the nursery in a rocking chair because she was in the nursery that week. And I put that baby in her lap. I said, Grandma here's the baby you prayed for. Because you prayed for me when my family fell apart. And here's this baby that you prayed for, and she's healthy, and she's here. And now she's here at our church, still hearing from Grandma Sue. Think about that. This power of a loving, caring adult my whole life. I found out last week that Grandma Sue is getting moved to an assisted living facility two and a half hours away. <clears throat> So on Sunday, I will go see her probably for the last time, I'm guessing, because she is very close to death, is my guess, with what's going on medically. And I've tried to process through, what do you sit down and say to somebody who discipled you your entire life? Who was there when your parents broke up? Who was there when you got married? Who rocked your newborn baby, prayed you through pregnancies? What do you say to that person? So my encouragement to you is be that person. Think about our kids. They're like, they have so much hitting them from so many sides. And we get to be that loving, caring adult, as opposed to, this is my week to volunteer. There's a big mindset that, we, that like, we've got to shift our mindsets, okay? We get to pour into these kids. We get to be the people who make disciples. Children can be disciples too. They can know and love and serve Jesus, and we can help them. And so I, I thank the Lord for the adults that he has put in my life. Even in a broken family, I was raised by loving, caring adults who poured into me and now pour into my kids, and that changed the trajectory of my life. I am 100% sure. We looked at this graphic last night, so I apologize if this is duplicative information. However, I think it's really important. So we, we did some, some research with, with Barna um, in a book that's called uh, Children's Ministry in a New Reality. And what they looked at was if you think about your child and their experience at church, how true are the following things? Okay. And so in green, this is a child who has a meaningful adult relationship. And a blue, this is a child who does not have a meaningful adult relationship. We're typically looking at outside of parents. So they're at church. There's some type of meaningful adult that is there with them. 
you can easily see that every time green outpaces blue, right? Usually by at least 50%. But I'm gonna read some of these to you because I know it might be a little bit hard to see. The child integrates biblical principles into their lives. They study the Bible on their own. They understand crucial principles from the Bible. They understand the big picture of the gospel of the Bible. They memorize Bible verses or creeds. All of those are significantly increased if there is a loving, caring adult in their life. Now imagine if there were five. And so in the book Sticky Faith, they make the case that we should reverse child to parent ratio or child to adult ratios. And so a lot of times we say one adult to five children. They said, what does it look like if we give every child five adults? What if every time one of your kids walked in the church doors there were five adults checking in on them? Texting them when they're teenagers? Um, my, my daughter went to Washington, D.C. It's a long story, but she's homeschooled and she went with a public school trip to Washington, D.C. We got a text one night and she is not introverted. I have another daughter that is. She is not. I got a text one night. Mom, I'm standing in front of everybody and I don't have a seat and I'm ugly crying. And as a mom sitting six hours away, my heart sings. And so, of course, what is going on? How can, you know, I'm going to call somebody like, you know, I go into like mom, bear, fix it mode, you know, like I'm going to go crazy. And so, and so in my desperation, I texted uh, a lady named Kathy and a lady named Chris. And I said, I, I need you to pray for Grace. She's in an awkward situation. I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on, but she needs you to pray for her. And so Grace got the situation worked out. Basically, there were not enough tables and chairs at a restaurant. It was, it was a big mistake. They got it all figured out. But she, being one of the only homeschool kids, didn't have a group of kids to sit with when there wasn't enough table space. And so she's literally the one that's standing up there by herself and doesn't know what to do. And so when Grace got in the car, when we picked her up, I said, Grace, what was your favorite part about the trip? She said, that night that we went to the dinner theater, I said, the night that you texted me and you were crying, like ugly crying in front of everybody, like that's, that's the night? And she said, yeah, it all worked out. And imagine when I could say to her, you know what, maybe it was kind of confidential, but I texted Cappy and Chris and, and I asked them to pray for you. And look how God answered that prayer. Yeah. God answered the prayer. We were able to build a team. We were able to call in those people and they were able to pray her through. And guess what? Even though she felt totally left out and abandoned in that situation, she showed up at church the next week. And guess who the first people were that were there to hug her? Cappy and Chris. They were right there. They go to her tennis matches. They're always checking in on her. And, and I just, I don't take that for granted. It's so precious. Every child deserves that. Every child in our youth ministry deserves that. This is another chart, similar idea. You can see that green is always bigger than blue, right? And so green is a child who has a meaningful adult relationship. And now listen to the categories. My friend, my child has friends at church. Their time in children's ministry is important. Church matters to my child. My, my child looks forward to church. Look at this one. 73% if they have a loving, caring adult there versus 37% on this one and 33% on this one. That's a big difference. My child learns things about faith and church that I cannot teach them. And children's ministry is the highlight of their week if there are loving, caring adults there. So when you go back to your churches, how can we make sure that every child has a loving, caring adult? First of all, choose one and go be their loving, caring adult. Start there. 
Okay, we can start there. That's easy. Choose one and go be that person. But we really need to offer this idea that we're not here as volunteers, that we're not here as children's ministry leaders, that we're not here to entertain. We are here to love you and share the gospel with you and help you to become a disciple. That's why we're here. And they need to know that. We have to set up an ideal environment for our kids. That took way longer than I thought it would. Sorry. (laughs) Get a little passionate about this because it changed my life. Literally, it changed my life. And so it's something I believe in completely. Number two, how can we provide a clear organizational structure? So knowledge that is organized better is recalled better, is, is the philosophy here. And so let me just show you an example and see if this makes sense. We're going to skip forward. All right. If someone, this is a really bad picture, I apologize. I just grabbed that this morning and pasted it in there. If you were going to teach someone to memorize the books of the Bible, or let's say, let's make it even harder. Let's say that you're like, hey, so how many books of history are there in the Old Testament? Your kids are going to look at you and be like, I don't even know what the history books are in the Old Testament, right? Like there's like no knowledge structure there. There's no organizational structure. So one option is we can give them a list of the books of the Bible or they can look in their Bible. You know, they can look in the table of contents and they can figure that out. This is not providing a good organizational structure. I apologize to whoever's image this is. This is a better organizational structure. Okay, so you guys have seen this. This is from Answers in Genesis. This is a much better way to organize the knowledge that we're trying to give to kids. This is one example. There's a lot of ways that we can apply this. Now I'm going to give you another example. How many books of history are there in the Old Testament? Five? Anything this? Five, twelve. Okay, so look at this right here. I'm not, I, I promise I'm not crazy. These numbers. Five, twelve. Five, five, twelve. There are five, twelve, five, five, twelve. If you teach a child something so simple like this, they can tell you so many things about the Old Testament. Okay, all of a sudden we've gone from how many books um, of, of poetic type, you know, beautiful literature are there? There's one, two, three, four, five. There's five, twelve, five, five, twelve. We can do the same thing with the New Testament. Four, one, twenty-one, one. And so there are gospels, there are history, there are epistles, and there is prophecy. This is a way of structuring knowledge so that it is easily recalled. Okay? This particular case is with books of the Bible. Maybe your kids don't memorize books of the Bible, and that's okay. We can make this applicable in other places, okay? This is, so I was, I was taking a course. There are free courses from Dallas um, Theological Seminary, and I was taking a free course, and that was the first day the instructor starts, 512, 12 Dr. Mark Yarball. And he has all of these guys in seminary clapping and doing this thing, okay? And of course, you can like see, it's a video-based class, and you can see them kind of like look at him for a minute, like you're really making us clap out a rhythm. But by the end of it, I mean, the whole group, once they realized what they were doing and why they were doing it and how quickly that they could say like, oh, there's 21 epistles, by the way. I don't know that I knew that before someone made me go five, you know, that that's just a way of organizing. Now, let's see if there's another way that might make a little bit more sense. Let's say that you are teaching chronologically through the Bible and whatever curriculum you happen to be using. So you're going chronologically through the Bible. Imagine your room and one wall says creation and one says fall 
and one says redemption, and one says restoration. And each time you teach one of those lessons, you cut out the picture of whoever it is that you're talking about, and you tape it to the wall in the right spot. Can you imagine what that's going to start to look like around your kids? So now all of a sudden we've said, okay, we're talking about Adam and Eve, and we're in the garden. So this is, you know, right around the time of creation. This is before they fell into sin. And that's why they were able to talk with God in the garden is because this was before the fall. And, and, I'm just, and so also, by the way, when we're reading prophecy and they're like, I don't really understand. You're telling me there's going to be no more tears and there's no more crying and there's no more pain. But I look around and I see those things, so I don't really understand. But if we place that on the wall with restoration, we can say, but baby, this is coming. We get to look forward to this. And so by providing a way to organize that knowledge, now kids are able to look at their Bible in a different way. Now imagine if we turn to a passage, this is especially, I would say, with like 10 years old and up, and you can say, well, this is after the fall, and we're waiting for Jesus to come. And look how we can see glimpses of redemption that they're looking for. And look what happened when he did come and he did redeem us on the cross. And so we're able to show them how our Bible is one big story instead of little, little chunks. I don't know about you guys, but I learned the Bible in little tiny stories that never went together. I, it, that was not part of my childhood education. I did not understand how they all went together. But when we can show them that the Bible is one beautiful, redemptive story, that opens up so much in their little minds. And then when we can physically show that to them, like think about the power of that. And so this is one way that you can organize knowledge so it can be um, just recalled better. Now, again, this is going to depend on the age of your kids. Right, so how can we make this developmentally appropriate? I'm going to offend somebody and I apologize. Is a sword drill the most developmentally appropriate way that you can teach a kid to look, look up a verse? I don't know. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna make somebody mad, so I'm gonna say I don't know instead of no. Um, <laughs> is it good to teach a child to use their Bible to find a scripture verse? Absolutely it is. We want them to see that we are reading straight from God's word. But is having a race where one child always wins every single time the most developmentally appropriate way to teach them to use their Bible? I don't know, okay? Like, I, I would just consider that. And so something that we've tried to really work in at a developmentally appropriate level, start helping them understand where things are in the Bible. And so use navigational language. And so, well, that's kind of like in the front half. So like, go to the front half of the Bible, and then let's look for such and such. Look for the big three and the little 11. Have you guys ever said these words? Okay, so it depends on the group that you're using, but you want to make sure that it's developmentally appropriate. Um, so I've got, so I have K through five in one class. That's because I go to a small church. And so that's, there's only a few kids in that K through five age range. I have some kids that can read and some kids that can't. And so that makes finding scripture really tricky because there's always the kid that gets to it in like 30 seconds. And then there's the other girl every single time she's like, but Shana, I can't read. Remember? I'm like, yes, yes. I, I remember you told me last week, sweetie. Um, <laughs> and so um, can the older child who always wins the sword drill help the younger child? 
Yes, they can. Okay, you're helping them learn to teach others that are younger than them. And so that's a developmentally, you know, appropriate way to go through that. Um, we also want to just set the expectation that we use the Bibles that are sitting on the table, even if they're youngsters, even if they can't read. Do they see me reading from my Bible so that they know that it's indeed God's word? Um, also, the, the length of the passage, one of the most humbling moments in my life as a content developer for Awana was we sent one of our lessons to a family for them to check it out and to read through. And so there's this guy, and he's reading through the lesson with his five-year-old son. And he gets about a minute and a half into it. And the little boy was like, Daddy, this is so long. When are we going to be done? And I have a video of this. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, Oh my golly, <laughs> this, is really, this is really humbling. Like here I thought like, oh, it's a pretty good lesson. It's good length, you know? And, and this boy is like almost having a fit on the floor. Like, you know, like, daddy, come on. And that was really eye-opening because what we offer to a two-year-old, so it used to be, and I don't know if this is still the case, two-year-olds have an attention span for two minutes, four-year-olds have an attention span for four minutes, six-year-olds. So think about the age range. Even if you're in middle school and they have a 10 to 12-minute attention span, that's still pretty short. So just think about what we're offering in that amount of time. So you may need to go into shorter passages, but maybe more explanation into that shorter passage. If you have younger kids, Think about all of the ways that we can present information. And how many of them are you using? We have a lot of ways that we can present information. There is video. There are slideshows. There is lecture. There is acting things out. There, there is music. There are so many ways we can present information. You know what we do? Hey, kids, sit on the circle. Let's read the lesson again. Like, seriously, that's what most of us do. So can you act it out? Can people get dressed up and do all the crazy stuff? Yes, they can. Okay. Um, my husband one time used a firecracker, I don't recommend that, um, to try to act out when, when fire came down from heaven and burnt the sacrifice. Um, we were outside. I just want to say we were outside when this happened. Um, but he set it up on a piece of fishing line so that when he lit it, it woo, like went down the fishing line and like caught this little thing on fire. But here's what I will say, you know, like, be safe, number one. But number two, do you think those kids ever forgot that lesson when their Sunday school teacher lit a firecracker on fire during the middle of their class? I mean, it was pretty cool. Um, there was another time, and I can't honestly remember. This is another thing that's probably needed to be edited out. Um, for some reason, my husband was shooting my wedding dress with a paintball gun. And I'm having a little trouble remembering what the lesson was. <laughs> why this was happening. It wasn't like a clear protective like case, um, but one of the paintballs broke through the plastic bag and it was like sitting in the bottom and luckily it did not explode. Thank the Lord. Um, so it, it's safe. Um, are you using Play-Doh or clay to create the little creations that we're talking about? Um, think about repeating key phrases or key words or having kids, you know, do some type of motion with it. It's, there are just so many ways and we just don't use them, to be super honest, because it's way easier to like open up the page and read the lesson. So there's so many ways. So try to think about what some of those ways are. Now, if you've ever seen this, there's two things that can happen. One is we can entertain, and we can entertain, and we can entertain, and we can lose the relationship. 
That's definitely possible. I think another situation is we can like be sitting there with the kids and we can still lose the relationship because we're anyone, anyone, anyone. You like that can still happen. So what we're looking for <laughs> is obviously a good balance. We want to make sure that they're engaged. We want to make sure that we're offering true content, but we also make sure that like, you know, that they want to be there and so do we. Um, okay. So here's another thing that I think is just important to take into consideration is the different types of learning. Now, if you have students with special needs or abilities in your classroom, that's a whole other story that I would love to talk to you about. And, and that can make things very rewarding and very challenging. Um, but we can get to that at some point. What I wanna look at right now is the kids in your class, most likely not all of them are auditory learners. I don't know about you, and, and this is something I really struggle with. If somebody is reading scripture out loud, I cannot focus. I need to read it to myself quietly. That's just the way that my brain works. If half of the kids in your classroom are sitting there with the same problem, think about what they're not really taking in, to be honest. And so anytime that you can present the same information in a variety of ways is super, super helpful. So are they a visual learner? Do they want to draw it out? Do they want to see it? Show them the coloring page. Let them color the page while you're speaking. That might help them, honestly. Okay, that may be a good way to help them. Um, auditory, do they want to hear it? Kinesthetic. Now, these are the kids that get in trouble because they want to move. They want to move the whole time. Do something and let them move. Like chant it. You know, there are so many ways. Have your Bible verse and be tossing a ball around. You know, whatever it takes, get that kid up and let them move. Social learners, these are the people. If you need to say something to like your spouse to process it before you make a decision, that's that kind of learning where it's like, I need to tell you what's going on before I can like fully get it in my mind. So that child retelling the story will be huge for them. And you can hear what they're learning. Some people especially in the age of remote work, they just like to sit quietly and learn their stuff. You know, they, they just like to do this on their own. And then there's verbal learners. And they're the ones that probably like know a lot of definitions. And they're the ones that are coming up and telling you all the things that they know, because that's the way that they're processing through it. How many of these things can you hit in one lesson? There's probably multiples. And then you're reaching more and more and more kids um, with the same message of the gospel. So some different, just some different ways that we've seen this happen, different ways that we've seen providing developmentally appropriate language and activities for kids. One way is to try to help navigate through the Bible instead of like just the sword drill using language. And so the book of Luke is in the section of the Bible called the Gospels. This is in the New Testament. Open your Bible, show the kids the title page for the book of Luke, then show them how to get today's passage. And so just helping them work through the Bible. Um, and so there's, there's just some different ideas here of what that can look like in real life. Okay, provide real life connections. If you are teaching them the Bible and what they learn from you is that, that there was a big whale, they, they didn't learn super useful information from your Sunday school lesson or your, you know, your, your midweek program or wherever it was that they were. How are they seeing that God's word applies to them today? That's not to say that we're taking it out of context. That's to say, back to our first verse, 
that the word of God is alive and it is active and it will not return void. And so there, the, the gospel, the, the God's word shows us who God is. And the more that we know him, the more we will love him and the more we will serve him. And so how can we show him those things? So are we answering kids tough questions with the truth of scripture? Or are we saying, I don't really know. That's kind of a hard question. How can we point them to Scripture to answer these questions? So if we're looking at the verse that, that, that you know, that, that I'm God and there is no other like me, that answers a very quick question about do multiple religions worship the same God? Why no, they don't. What did he just tell us? You know, there is one true God. And so the kids are coming and, and I don't, this is the shift that we see in society the young kids are coming with really hard questions. And your Bible isn't going to mean a lot if your Bible doesn't have the answers to that, those really tough questions. And it does. But we have to be willing to find the answers for them and to help them with those answers. And so even little ones, especially when tragic things happen in our world, are asking some really hard questions that honestly we didn't have to ask when we were little, sadly. And so we have to be able to point that, point them to scripture so that they see that this is not just a a historical document that we put on a shelf, that this is not something we do for just devotional reading here and there, but this is something that guides our life. This is what we believe in. It's how we make our decisions. Um, that it's, it's tough. Those tough questions are really hard. I think what you will find is more and more, especially kids' curriculum, are realizing that kids are asking these tough questions and trying to prepare leaders to answer them. Um, and it's heartbreaking. I will say it's heartbreaking, the content that we end up writing. Um, we love to serve the church because we love the local church. But I mean, imagine like these navigating a broken world situations. What do I do when I'm left out? Um, what do I do when my parents are divorced? What if I do if I have a parent that's incarcerated? I mean, these are the kind of things that we need to be able to answer their questions and we need to be able to love them through these situations. It's hard. It's really hard. Okay, lastly, how can you partner with parents? How can you partner with parents? So so here's the question. If parents have the kids, you know, like what, 98% of the time, I just made that statistic up, but let's just guess, okay? Um, If parents have your kids a lot of the time, Just imagine the possibilities if that child is saturated in Scripture, is immersed in God's Word. So instead of just hearing this truth, you know, for 30 minutes in your classroom, now they're going home and they're hearing truth echoed over them over and over and over again. And I get it, because here's what's going to happen. You're going to say, we send home the papers and they, they, they just end up in the trash can. It's worth a fight. That's all I'm going to tell you. It's worth it. It is worth the energy. It is worth the effort. Because if there is one parent who is going home and discipling their kids because of maybe a resource that you send or the encouragement that you give, it is worth it. Because now the child is seeing that this is not just a religion for Sunday morning. That this is a religion that can be lived out all week long. So we, we went over this yesterday, but I'm just going to briefly go over it again um, for those of you that weren't in here yesterday. But when we asked adults where the primary place of discipleship should take place, we asked parents and we asked children's ministry leaders. Children's ministry leaders, 95% of them said children's discipleship should take place at home. 
Deuteronomy 6 tells us that, right? That discipleship should take place at home. However, only 49% of parents thought the same. So we have almost all of the children's ministry leaders saying, this is your, this is your deal. You go do this. This is all for you. And we have half of the parents that don't even realize or don't think that that's what they should be doing. That's a lot of kids in your ministry programs. That's a lot of kids. And so what we fear is that there's kids kind of falling through the cracks because children's ministry leaders are like, hey, discipleship should be your deal. And parents are saying, no, that's why I bring them to you. You're the expert. And in the meantime, this kid is just getting kind of like tossed around. And so there's a stalemate. There is a stalemate between leaders and parents. And so we want to partner with parents to provide resources to those families. We want to be their biggest cheerleader. We want to help them as much as we can. So according to Barna's latest research with the Cultural Research Center, 67% of parents of preteens claim to be Christian, but only 4% of those have views consistent with Scripture. So the parents of the children that you are serving, about 4% of them have a biblical worldview. Some say as low as 2%. Somewhere between 2 and 4% have a biblical worldview. That's scary. It's a scary situation. Um, but we, we want to help in that situation. So in the book Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions, they said this, Sadly, even when useful information and ideas learned from church experiences are grasped by these children, they are lost or negated in the spiritual confusion that reigns in a typical church household. So I went to church and I learned that God will provide even for the, even for the sparrows, even for the lilies of the field, and I see my mom crying over finances. That's confusing. That's really confusing. And so think about the child that, you know, they hear this truth, but they're not necessarily seeing it lived out. So we have got to disciple the disciple maker. We have got to make sure that our parents are also becoming disciples of Christ. Um, but this is confusing. This is showing a mixed message to our kids. And, and we need to work through this. Did you get? Okay, you're good. All right. um, <clears throat> another quote, the book Handing Down the Faith is very interesting. If you haven't read it, it's, it's an excellent uh, resource. I will say there's a lot of data in it. So you have to be kind of willing to like read through all of the percentages and, you know, all of those things. But they had this quote, all research in the United States today shows clearly that parents are by far the most important factor influencing their children's religion, not only as youth, but also after they leave home. Parents are the primary influencer, whether or not they think they are. And so how do we equip them? How do we partner with them? How do we help them? Oh, somebody was taking a picture. Did you get it? Whoever it was. Okay. Ah, I lost my slide. Okay. Now, here's the one that I want to focus on. In a study in 2022, how concerned are Christian parents about their children's faith formation? They said, Christian parents who hope for a healthy, enduring spiritual foundation for their children need the support of a church that recognizes their concerns and addresses them in community. They don't need us to point at them. They need us to wrap our arms around them and help them. They need to know 
that they can be disciple makers in their homes. And, and it's, just, it's, it's startling. Some of the research is startling. Um, and, and it's why we work as hard as we do on a family resource, because we're trying to figure out what does it look like to actually equip families to do the work of discipleship. So I want you to know there are many things you can do in your classroom. You can provide the right environment. You can provide the loving, caring adults. You can organize uh, you know, the, the instruction in such a way that it makes sense and that can be recalled easily. Those are all things that you can do. You can attach things to what we call prior knowledge, meaning like you can say, hey, remember when such and such happened? That's kind of like this. These are all structures that can be in place. But what I would love to point you back to is if you really want success in a lot of these ministries, boy, that, I feel like this says a lot. It's, it's you. <laughs> it's you. It's if you are willing to have that relationship with a child, one-on-one, two-on-one, three-on-one, you know, whatever that happens to look like, if you're willing to pour into their lives, I just, like, you can't, those green bars are so much longer. <laughs> Like that, that's just crazy to me. And every child deserves to have that grandma soon in their life. And the effect that that has for generations is just significant. And so I hope that you can go find a child that you can love them well. Um, and, th- and that's something that you can pass on uh, to the other members of your church. So I would like to pray for us. And then um, it is 9.54, and I think there's a session that starts at like 10, 10.15. So you can uh, get some coffee and things like that before you head to the next place. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you because your word is alive and it is active and it is sharper than a two-edged sword, Lord, that we know it will not return void. And so we praise you, Lord, even if we are the like worst teachers ever, you are active and you are powerful and you are the best teacher ever. Um, but Lord, we also know that we have precious, precious children in our care and that we want to share your word with them, not just so they have a head knowledge, but so it changes their heart and you work through them and they know you and they love you and they serve you all the days of their life. So Lord, we just um, pray over the children and the various ministries that are represented here. Lord, and we ask that you save them. Lord, we ask that you um, grow them to be disciples who just love you and make more disciples. And um, Lord, I just thank you for the dedication of those that are here that want to see more and more and more raised up to know you and love you and serve you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you guys. Well, that was great stuff from Awana Shauna. Hope that you enjoyed those episodes. Next up, we're going to be hearing from Jason Hauser of Seeds Family Worship. Jason's actually from my church, so I'm really looking forward to diving into those episodes. We're going to be talking about engaging parents to make discipleship of their kids their greatest priority. So make sure you stay tuned for that. If you haven't already, click that subscribe button. Please tell your friends about this podcast. And uh, let's use this as a way to encourage everyone to make disciple-making their priority, their number one goal in their life. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope to catch you on the next one. 
So, see you later. 